Mr. Speaker. mean it's time for politics here on the one radio 191 fm brought to you by otago museum yes lovely yeah no we're happy about that we're happy about that indeed right we're happy about politics of uh john moore and phil ferguson morena to both you're right Rightio, let's get straight into it. Um, Winston Peters, oh sorry, New Zealand First. 25 years of New Zealand First, um, our you know, most successful minor party, I'd mm. say you, you could say, unless you want to go back to the days of the Reform Party and all the other, there were some smaller parties. Well, social then. credit a, for yeah. a time. Well, well, social credit, well, successful in terms of number of votes, but mm. not in terms of getting into government. No. Of course, they got 25% of the vote in what well, early 80s, I think, yeah. which was amazing. Uh, but, you know, that was first past the post, so didn't really matter. Uh, formed by Winston Peters after he resigned from the National Party and won the Tauranga seat as an independent in 1993, the first year of MMP, of course. Um, so it's all Tauranga's fault, thanks. Uh, of course, they outs them later on, and then he went up north, uh, back to his home. Um, but anyway, uh, so they've been going for 25 years strong, uh, and they have been quite strong at times, and at other times not so much. Um, but they've always, I guess, carried around ten percent. It's been mm. it's been their thing, wouldn't it? Up and down, yeah, up and down. yeah. Oh, and they, yeah, they had fifteen or sixteen or something. But why, why, John? Why are they so successful? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, I think it's appropriate was sponsored by the museum because some people could call Winston Peters a museum piece. That's right, <laughs> or he should be. Yeah. But yeah, no, New Zealand certainly has been uh, in the context of New Zealand politics very successful. Where we've had a number of uh, minor parties before and after. Um, the implementation of MMP have just failed and disappeared from the alliance, uh, which at one stage was probably higher than the Labour Party in the 1990s, mm. disappeared uh, and collapsed. Um, uh, the old Social Credit Party, which we were just talking about, uh, pretty much disappeared and collapsed. Uh, new Labour, I guess. Yes, New Labour, which I was a electoral candidate for oh, way right, back in too. 1990. And that's why they collapsed <laughs> Quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, and yeah, um, ACT has uh, got one MP but is barely holding on. The Māori Party has no MPs and is barely wow, holding on that. to any level of support. The yeah. Mana uh, Party. Um, so again and again, all these minor parties have sort of been squeezed out by the two main dominant parties. But New Zealand First has survived, as well as the Greens. Yes, of course. And I think in both cases, they, those two parties have um, a clear sort of... Uh, political programs and perspectives that differentiate themselves from the, the two mainstream parties. So in that way they're able to sort of uh, have a core, uh, core um, uh, support base mm. uh, uh, that doesn't necessarily alter but all the time, both the Greens and the Affairs have to sort of uh, uh, extend their support base out into people who might support traditionally Labour or National. And I think um, what makes New Zealand Affairs a success is its distinctive populist nationalism. Yeah. Uh, and uh, ostensibly, at least, its opposition to uh, the so-called establishment and to establishment politics, what some people on the left call, and what the Peters calls, neoliberal politics. So that more sort of free market, minimal state yeah. form of politics. No, I mean, they 
It's interesting because, you know, when it comes to nationalism stuff, they could be seen as quite far right. Uh, and so they really soak up that uh, part, parts of that vote. Mm. Uh, not necessarily the younger far right, mm. uh, but certainly the older far right that's scared of people coming in and taking what's and theirs. Not, yeah, it's not inappropriate to call Winston Peters our own Donald Trump. Uh, I think he's a, a Donald Trump type figure with some of the rough edges uh, uh, rubbed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, certainly Winston Peters had said things as outrageous as Donald Trump, if not more outrageous, targeting uh, the Asian community at times, uh, saying that uh, walking, and I remember in the 90s he said walking down Queen Street, it feels like we're not in New Zealand anymore. Yeah. Uh, at one stage he was trying to target the Muslim communities and made outrageous statements that there are no moderate Muslims, inferring that they're all extreme. So he's certainly prepared to be play the race card, the religious card, the nationalist card, but unlike Donald Trump, when he gets into power, Winston Peters tends to be quite moderate, uh, uh, it, 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 and tone down his uh, more extreme rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, Winston, um, Phil, um, will there be a party without him? Is it the Winston Peters party? It, it is the Winston Peters party, and it would have gone long ago. You know, it would have ended up the same as those other parties. Um, one that I was just thinking of last night, actually, Lee. Uh, that nobody remembers anymore was um, Maori Pacific, which was oh, started yes. by members of Labour and National. And I think they they started with about seven MPs or, or something, you know. And they were gone at the <laughs> gone at the next election. I think there might have been another one in there somewhere as well. Oh, well, yeah, and there was United United Future. Oh, yes, know, of course. So on as well, and they had, uh, you know, a rake of MPs at at one stage. But it was Winston that really kept it going. Yeah. And the problem for them was always going to be the succession. Um, but I think now they've got, you know, with people like um, Shane Jones, um, Ron Mark, Winston's found logical successor. I mean, yeah. I, I think Shane Jones, yeah, seems to be the anointed one. Um, and so I guess, yeah, there's a there's a transition underway whether Peter's ego will allow that transition to be done in an organised way while he's still leader I'm not sure you'd think they'd be starting to manage the transition now given Winston Peter's age but they you know it's still Peter's calling all the the shots Mm -hmm. one thing to say about him as well, or two quick things. One is that he's moderated with time. I mean, the Winston Peters of the 1990s was much more blatantly racist and anti-Asian and anti-immigrant and so on than he is now. He hasn't, although he can still play that card, he plays it, he tends to play it less and of course as we've seen when he gets in government it largely goes by the yeah. goes by the board, and clearly there's a, there's an electorate for that, but it's not especially large. Yeah, because the other thing about about I think why he's sustained himself is that economically he's to the left of the other parliamentary parties, so he's in a lot of ways he's old Labour, and mm. you know Muldoonite sort of well old National and old Labour. Because people forget the Labour Party is so politically correct and liberal on social issues now. People forget that that didn't used to be the case. They used, you know, the Labour Party was anti-gay, anti-immigrant. They started the Dawn raids. 
They it was under Labour that the Auckland Abortion Clinic was raided. You had Labour MPs trying to tighten the abortion laws before Muldoon ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was that solid reactionary, very reactionary, socially right wing um, Labourite thing that was attached to Keynesian economics. And that's what Peter's kind of kept going. And I think he had resonance in a chunk of the electorate because when the switch to new right economics started after by Labour after 84 and then in the first term of Bolger's government, um, you know, there were people like Peters who opposed that and they had that constituency, people who didn't necess- who weren't as racially well, as necessarily as anti-Asian, although some of them were because of World War Two and Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and very Pakeha inside, but he had a big Maori constituency. I mean, he won all the Maori yeah. seats, and he mm. didn't just win all the Maori seats. Which um, he won the party vote and all of them apart from one, which the Maori Party never did. So it, it you know, there was a, a lot more going on than the, than the racism and nationalism, and he did that because he was seen as being anti-establishment, mm-hmm. although he didn't embrace Maori, um, although he certainly didn't, and actually he was totally opposed to Tino Rangatiratanga politics, he was seen by a lot of Maori, especially working class Maori, as being like the cheeky Maori who kind of put it up to the white power structure. And I think Tony Jones can continue on in that role, yes. but he's certainly uh, been prepared to take on the so-called Murray establishment at times yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and to clearly say that um, the, the MPs say they have been voted in the Murray seats are uh, elitist Murray MPs that aren't representative of the, um, the general Murray population so I think um, um, yeah, when I look at towards a new leader in New Zealand first, it seems obvious that it should be Shane Jones, yeah. uh, although I'm sure Ron Marks uh, <laughs> would like the position. And, yeah, I think uh, uh, Shane Jones is a very interesting character in that he, he can appeal to both uh, <coughs> uh, conservative uh, white voters um, and, and with his deep knowledge of uh, uh, to old Māori, uh, the Māori world, um, and, uh, I think he can a- appeal to Māori voters as a, uh, a renegade Maori leader. Yeah. Well, we yeah. see, we could see a split in the party though. Um, come Winston <coughs> leaving, because Ron does have supporters, and so does Shane Jones mm. as well. So that in itself could rip the party apart. Yeah, way. it's always a danger. Yeah. Uh, I, I think though that both Shane Jones and Ron Marks are astute enough to know that if there was a split, that would be the end. Yeah. The end for New Zealand first. If you and the end for them politically. Yeah. Because yeah. if you look at modern day uh, political, like minor parties that have come along, um, and you could even put the Māori Party in this, it's always been about who's been at the top. And once that person at the top has kind of gone, so is the party in a way. Like they lost their support. People, Jim Anderson, mm. split off, and then you know New Labour did quite well, and then and with him in the alliance, it did mm. quite well. Um, I- everyone but the Greens has kind of lost support once the leadership has changed. Mm. Uh, Act has kind of only stayed in there because of. Because of Eb- yeah, yeah, but but when mm. it, but they did all right from Preble through to to um, his replacement. Um, uh, it wasn't coming up. Well, Douglas and was repl- yeah, yeah, and then Douglas and Preble, and, Preble. The, and then there was old uh, the original Dancing with the Star uh, act leader, and I can't remember his name. Uh, Rodney Hyde. Rodney Hyde. Yeah, yeah, Hyde. There you go. Come on, get him back. He was such a good dancer. He, I'm he was. You didn't remember his he, name. Oh, and, and I do really enjoy his chats. Um, he, he, he's, he's quite astute. He knows what he's talking about. Mm. He, you know, even though he's an idiot. Uh, anyway, um, so I think 
So well, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they do, if they do yeah. survive once once the head of the snake's gone. That's going to be the test because the greens survived. They've survived several changes, and I think that's because that's a brand. Yeah. You know? Oh yes. There's exactly. a section of the population. Yeah, and it's somewhere between five and ten percent who will party vote green, and yeah. they they've got that, and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. I think what's in New Zealand First favour is that uh, certainly Winston Peters and I think other, and Shane Jones as well, are uh, astute to the sort of new radical zeitgeist that is out there, that there's a demand for more radical politics and anti-establishment politics. And I would say that New Zealand First was really the only party that that mm. pushed that sort of anti-establishment line quite hard in the last election, to the point when, after um, uh, the coalition agreement was uh, um, signed, Winston Peters said that capitalism was failing in New Zealand, mm-hmm. you know, um, and... But I guess uh, the, the problem with New Zealand First is that, yes, often their radica- rhetoric can be radical, but uh, uh, what do they do once they're in power? Do they, do they deliver? And uh, I think that will be very telling over the next couple of years, whether uh, New Zealand First is seen to of, of push Labour and push the Greens into a position where it's delivering for its um, support base, for yeah. the older part of the electorate and uh, for people who, say, uh, want more um, distributive uh, policies, etc. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the problem facing New Zealand First now is going to be the leadership transition because... Although Shane Jones has got certain things going for him, he's also a bit of a loose cannon. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he could easily walk himself into a, you know, into a scandal or, you know, watching porn on the taxpayer's money <laughs> in, in a hotel room or, uh, or whatever. But he is a loose cannon and he has a massive ego. Whereas, you know, Winston has a big ego and he's a wee bit of a... He's a loose cannon... If you're in government coalition with him, but he knows enough to, you know, keep New Zealand First afloat. So the problem New Zealand First is going to face, I think, is the danger of a loose cannon. But the other thing is, um, when Peters was being interviewed about the 25 years, and he said, like, the reason that New Zealand First came into existence was to fight neoliberalism. Hmm. Well, where does that leave the emission now? Because there's been a whole shift away from from neoliberalism economics. In fact, I think the shift happened a long, long time ago. I think the neoliberal period was relatively short in New Zealand. But clearly, the present government, although I think it's quite economically right-wing, it's not neoliberal, and I don't think key English were either. So where does that leave him in terms of that very important economic policy? Because... I would say that he needs that. The one thing he should be uh, tackling is the budgetary responsibility yeah. rules of, of this government, mm. uh, which heavily restrict government spending. Uh, it, it is one of uh, uh, the excuses used by Grant Robertson, the finance minister, for not paying uh, nurses more, teachers more. Uh, for um, uh, Jacinda Ardern has used it as an excuse for uh, um, pulling back on her uh, proposals <laughs> to get rid of child poverty. So yeah. If I was Winston Peters, I would push hard uh, for uh, those budgetary responsibility rules to be loosened up, and then he could see, be seen as a bit of a, a, a saviour, yeah. the people's saviour. All right, uh, speaking of saviours, uh, we have to move on to Trump. Uh, <laughs> he's going to save the world. Uh, yes, the US, it just gets worse and worse, really. Uh, Trump uh, went to Europe. 
Uh, he met the Queen, uh, he met NATO, uh, and he met up with Putin. Uh, and you know, in, in, in typical Trump fashion, um, he he just trumped it, eh? He'd like, he, for a man with the name Trump, he doesn't hold many Trump cards. Like, uh, and anyway, uh, tell us some of the highlights or, or lowlights. We can call them both things, really. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, a lot of people will say that he came across as a complete nut, inconsistent, rally against uh, traditional allies such as uh, nation states and NATO and in the EU. Um, I'll go on a limb here, though, and I think I would say that on the whole, uh, his recent um, uh, visits to Europe, to Russia, and to the UK have been a success for him. What we've got to remember is that he was voted on a populist, nationalist, anti-establishment platform, and it, it, and he's pushed. Uh, on these recent trips, he's pushed that anti-establishment line. Uh, remember, the EU is is seen as a, uh, one of the main champions in global politics of uh, uh, globalisation, free markets, uh, open borders. Well, and, and, and so Trump said, indicated that he saw, in regards to trade at least, that the EU is more of a problem, if not an enemy, than uh, Russia or China is. That's going to appeal to that, that, that base in America who have lost out materially and in terms of identity due to capitalist globalisation. Um, he, he went into Britain and, and, and indicated his strong support for Brexit, but indicated that he thought that um, uh, Theresa May was being soft in terms of her negotiations with the EU. Again, mm -hmm. that would appeal to his base. And he gave contradictory statements on Putin and his meeting with Putin. Uh, on one hand, uh, uh, dismissing the idea that the Russians had interfered in the previous American election and then saying that he misspoke. Uh, um, <laughs> but again, that, that, that general sense that he's favourable towards Putin is going to appeal to his base, that, that um, Putin presents himself as uh, a leader against uh, Western capitalist globalisation mm. and the man of the people. So um, I, I think Trump's been ticking off all the boxes. And also that, that, that playing that sort of contradictory type uh, and inconsistent politics and making one statement and then contradicting himself. This is very much uh, something um, that possibly he's borrowed from Putin, who's uh, Putin has uh, um, created a situation of confusion, political confusion in Russia, exactly about what his policies are, who his, who his supporters are, who his funders are. Um, but that, that general state of confusion has actually played out quite well for Putin and uh, um, um, possibly the same for Trump. You know, he, he, he can uh, make, make contradictory statements, but what, what is his general support base and the general electorate taking out of those contradictory statements that, yeah, maybe he uh, is in league with Putin, uh, that he is opposed to the EU, uh, yeah. that he is the champion of, uh, of those opposed to so-called capitalist globalisation. Well, I mean, it's only going to work if the economy works, though, right? I mean, this kind of rhetoric is only going to work if he can get those jobs back in America, if he can get Americans working again. And in some ways he has, to some degree, especially with uh, the tax cuts, corporate tax cuts he um, brought in, that did lead to a whole a capital inflow into America because uh, American companies had been uh, basically putting their, their large amounts of uh, capital deposits and, and, and profits overseas to avoid those taxes and so there was a flow back into America and that has led, led to some degree uh, to a pick up in employment. Mm -hmm. I, I think though that his performance in Europe and it is like, everything he does is kind of a performance yeah. has brought 
to a, a, um, a greater extent problems within the Republican Party, mm. like the criticisms of him from people within the Republican Party um, and people who hadn't criticised him before, I think is, is a problem for him. Um, you know, being criticised by senators and so on in places like, uh, I can't remember if it was North or South Carolina and other parts of the South, um, I think that's problematic for him. And it's going to be interesting to see um, the midterm, how the midterm elections go, because mm. um, they are happening um, October, shortly. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. just a couple of months away. Because if he, if they don't go well for the Republican Party, then I think you know, all hell could break loose. I also think some of his base are probably uncomfortable about his attacks on the American um, state security apparatus, like you know, saying nice things about Putin and saying really, really disparaging things about the heads of the intelligence apparatus in the United States, the CIA and the rest of it, I don't think that goes down particularly well with his, with his support base because although they don't like the state, they don't, it's not the CIA or the, the um, NSA that they have the problems with. But there is an yeah. increased sort of, uh, you could call it conspiracy theories, uh, amongst the section of the American population, <coughs> more on the right, that deeply uh, are suspicious of, if not hate the FBI, the CIA, oh, and the well, whole security apparatus. Well, you, yeah, well, you, you that's go, go back to Ruby Ridge and, hmm, and yeah. things like that. And I think that's extended out beyond that, that fringe conspiracy section of the population, especially after the Iraq War. Uh, and and, and uh, levels, uh, yeah, um, I guess... Uh, after the Iraq War, uh, the, the the CIA, the FBI, were viewed at an all-time low by large sections of, of the American population. I would hazard to guess that would have been the de the Democratic side of the population, though. I think a lot of people on the right still think they had WMDs. Yeah. But, but Donald Trump stood on a platform where he said uh, one of the greatest crimes carried out recently in American history was the invasion of Iraq, and he, mm -hmm. and he basically called the Bush family criminals for, for carrying that out. He was also incredibly Hostile to um, Hillary Clinton's position of of upping upping the ante in Syria and actually uh, uh, imposing a no-fly zone, which could have brought America into conflict with the the, the Russians. And so again, he, he he pushed a very isolationist line, which has a deep history in America, um, in, in both parties, the Democrats and the Republicans. And so I think. Um, his his war against the the so-called deep state, the FBI, the security services, etc. Um, um, yes, he'll lose some support uh, amongst his base, but uh, um, remember, amongst people who are pro-state rights, who are uh, um, anti the federal government, yeah. there's a deep suspicion of of the so-called deep state, those unelected coercive components of the state. Right, we're almost got to go. We're almost out of time, but yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I, I'm, what the things he said about the EU are the ones that really got me, and especially his comment about uh, Germany's dependence oh, yes. on Russian um, gas, which was very contradictory because. According to his logic, that would be a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but he, you know they're calling him out. You know Putin is the enemy. But but it's only six, it's interesting because it's only six point five percent of um, mm. the uh, the entire um, 
use of, of energy mm. in Germany mm. um, but it is it's something like 30 odd uh, what, what did I have 46% of all, mm. all, all domestic gas use mm. in Germany in 2015 is from from um, from there and I guess uh, that's domestic use within like uh, kitchens and stuff like that so uh, that would be hard to replace unless you went all electric right yeah, for so, sure. So, so mm. I, I was wondering why why do you had to rely on Russian gas if it's only six months? I mean, I believe these pipelines oh. coming through Russia. I mean, because it's oh, one, it's one land mass, it's it's a lot easier oh. to get gas and and, and and oil from Russia as opposed yeah. to the Middle East. Well, it all comes through um, the Ukraine, and, mm. uh, which is interesting in itself as yes. well. <laughs> I mean, it's all it's all really interesting. So I thought, I you know, I don't know what's going to come with this. I don't know, you know. I mean, the EU is so heavily reliant on the states as well in terms of trade. Mm. Um, that, so nothing's really you know i mean he could probably think he can get away with saying whatever but, he wants yeah but it works both ways because the, the united states therefore is is dependent on the eu for trade as well yeah oh, yes and you know and now mm. he has this the problems with with china well that's there what's going to happen there because you know he said if you retaliate against my tariffs it's going to get even worse i mean that's ridiculous yeah, right I, yeah he could find that he bites off more than he can chew it's going to be interesting i mean yeah it's all coming to you know it's all coming it's going to be the uh eu and china versus russia and the states we live in interesting it, it, times we, we do i mean sci-fi is now it's just so amazing <laughs> all right uh thank you so much for coming in this morning both of you always Cheers, Jamie. and we'll talk again next week